All right. Good morning. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yeah. All right. So for anyone I don't know, my name's Jillian, and um, I'm just really excited and humbled to share what God's been putting on my heart to share with you. Um, I am part of a nature-loving family. We love to hike and to canoe and to camp, and later this year, my husband Scott and I are planning on taking our three small children backcountry camping, and what? which was, we haven't done with all three of them yet, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, but prior to our adventures with kids, Scott and I would venture into the backcountry quite a bit, and we started with hiking. And because we knew we had to carry everything with us on our backs, we packed very light and we lived off Mr. Noodles and trail mix for days. Um, but then we decided to try backcountry canoeing and that completely changed our trip uh, because we had a canoe. We did not have to carry these things. So we decided to bring barbecues and lawn chairs and steak and um, we were in beautiful Killarney and to get to some of the really nice lakes you do need to portage a bit meaning you using the yoke of your canoe you carry it on your shoulders over land until you get to the next lake the route the route we'd chosen had a few portages including one that was almost two kilometers long which is a long portage <laughs> and it went up and over a fairly large hill and like i said we hadn't exactly packed light and out of sheer stubbornness we only were going to do this in one trip and so we portaged like this um, and then there was scott who was carrying as much stuff as well yeah. <laughs> And I'm sharing this with you so that you know what my idea of a nice, relaxing vacation is. Um, question, how do you carry the canoe? That's, that's why I have a husband. <laughs> um, but I'm sharing this so that you know what my idea of a relaxing vacation is, and I'm not gonna teach you all I know about rest. <laughs> uh, luckily, there's someone who knows a lot more about rest than I do. So we're going to read our teaching verses, or teaching scripture today, which is Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Father, I just uh, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you that we are in your presence. Um, I ask that of my message, your simple truth sticks with people. Um, and I thank you that it is because of your unfailing goodness and faithfulness that I can speak with confidence about your promises today, Lord. So just guide our time this morning. I love you. Amen. Amen. So we are a few weeks into our series on the yes and amen promises of God. Today we are going to take a look at God's promise of rest. If I asked you to sum up, sum up your daily normal life in one word, would it be restful? Mine wouldn't. 
Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, a philosopher and theologian, once said that the human condition will never be satisfied, that there is in us a desire to want more and to do and see everything and to know and be known by everyone. And because we are very finite beings and can never see and do all that we desire, what we're left with is restlessness. Now, Aquinas wrote that in the 12th century. Take that restless nature and combine it with our current culture of consumerism, where success is measured by how much you have and how quickly we can acquire it, and the result is exhaustion at best. Anxiety and depression and overwhelm and burnout are so prevalent that they become a norm. And even as followers of Jesus, we can hear this offer of rest and think, yes, I can't wait to take you up on that someday. We hear, I will give you rest, and we take it as a sentiment, something lovely for some reality other than the one I'm currently living in. We equate rest with vacation, like it's an option for when all my work is done. We hear, I will give you rest, and honestly think, I don't have time to rest. I need to finish this job, get my kids to piano practice, text everyone back, get a workout in, get dinner on the table. I don't have time to rest. Or maybe for you it sounds more like this. I need to read my Bible, do my emotionally healthy spirituality homework, practice silence, fast, pray continually, feed the hungry, share the gospel with my neighbors. I don't have time to rest. As a church, we've been praying words from Jesus' greatest command, and they include, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, I became curious about the wording, the Lord is one, and what I found is that it refers to the unified wholeness of God, that our God is the one God in all places, in all times, and to all people. And because that is who he is, then his promises are also one. They are his promises in all places, in all times, and to all people. Amen. And this is good news. It means that his rest is not just for those of us with disposable <laughs> incomes, or family cottages, or vacation time. His rest does not exclude people with young children, or those dealing with illness or loss. It does not exclude the self-employed, or the unemployed, or farmers, or students, or nurses, or church leaders. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. The weary and the burdened, that is for who his rest is for. So how we take Jesus up on his offer of rest and his easy yoke is where we're headed today. But before we get to Jesus and his beautiful words, which could seem simultaneously hopeful and impossible, we need to lay a foundation of what God's rest actually is because it is far more than the sentiment we've reduced it to. And it is far more for the vacation that we long for. The Bible is actually one unified story and God's promises fulfilled, of God's promises fulfilled, and we can trace rest all the way through it, starting with chapter one. So we're going to take a look at God's promise of rest in three main parts today. Creation, fall, and then Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, we are going to start 
in chapter 1, Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And then Genesis 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. These are passages describing Eden, God's exquisitely designed and perfectly functioning creation before the fall. Did you notice that God gave us work to do in Eden? He puts man in the garden to work it and to take care of it. We often think of work as the opposite of rest, but the origins of work were a blessing given by a loving God to his image bearers, his children. More from Genesis 2, this is verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So one of the interesting things I learned while preparing for this message is that in the creation story, the first six days conclude with the words, there was evening and there was morning. But the seventh day does not include these words. There's no evening and no morning in the seventh day because the intention was that this day of God's rest was to have no end. The work of creating was done. This is God's rest an unending enjoyment of his good work completed. Rest is built right into the fabric of creation. And humanity is welcomed into this rest to rule over it, to do our work in the garden, enjoying the fruits of creation in the presence of God. And so for one glorious chapter in the history of humanity, our work is a blessing to us in God's own presence. But then part two, the fall. The problem starts in Genesis 3 with the introduction of sin into the world, leading to separation from God's presence in Eden. Because of sin, God had to cast out his children, and we read in Genesis 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the fields by the sweat of your brow. You will eat your food until you return to the ground. 
Uh, this is sobering, but if I am not a farmer or even a gardener and I get my food from a grocery store, why does it really matter? Uh, Genesis is not the easiest section of scripture to understand and apply in modern life, but what I want to get from it today is this. When we are talking about God's promise of rest, we are not talking about a break from our work. We are talking about a break from the painful toil that our work became because of sin. We chose and continue to choose life on our own terms rather than the good and blessed life he designed for us. And separation from his presence was the cost. We traded good work for painful toil, and we traded rest for restlessness. Augustine, a theologian who lived about 400 years after Christ, summed it up quite nicely when he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. We are created to be with God and nothing else will ever satisfy us. So following the fall the result and resulting exile from Eden, the biblical story doesn't include a lot of rest for God's people. But that was not because he was no longer promising it. A few weeks ago, Tom introduced the series by talking about God's covenants, the partnerships he offers to humanity through his chosen people, the Israelites. In God's covenant with Abraham, we hear of the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And later in scripture, the promised land is called God's rest because the promised land is where God's people will find rest from their toil. Once there, food and protection and enjoyment of creation all come easily to them. But life in the sin-cursed world finds God's people not in the promised land, but slaves to the Egyptians. In Exodus, God rescues the Israelites from slavery, and after their miraculous escape, they gather at Mount Sinai, where God makes another covenant with them. He gives his people commands, commands that, though burdensome, will allow them to learn to really be God's people, to start to live and function in the way he designed his creation to work. And there are a lot of commands given uh, but among them, repeated multiple times, is the Sabbath. Sabbath, or Shabbat in Hebrew, means to cease or to stop. So the first command for Sabbath, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We established a bit earlier that God built into the fabric of creation the pattern of rest. And here in his partnership with the Israelites, we see God has not forgotten that, nor does he consider the sinful, broken life humanity chooses to disqualify them from that rest. Remember, this is God's promise, so it is for all people in all places, including refugees camping out in the desert. Their life is not easy, 
They are not in their promised land yet, but God invites them to live for one day a week as if they were. But the Sabbath was also a little more than a day off. It was for acknowledging and remembering God's goodness and faithfulness. It was a sign of their relationship. Another Sabbath command, Exodus 31, 12 and 13. You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The Sabbath was an act of faith by God's people. It was a way to say, I am not God. I can stop. A way to say, I trust God to provide for me. I can rest in the knowledge of who you are, God, and who I am to you. And frankly, it's a beautiful practice and one I would recommend trying. But one day a week is far from a culmination of a promise of God. I told you we could trace rest through the entire biblical story, and if you are following along, we're only in book two of the Bible, which means there's a whole lot more rest to come. But we have one more crucial stop in Exodus before we move on. After the covenant is established, God tells Moses, it is time to take the people he has rescued from slavery and move them into the land he promised, the one flowing with milk and honey. And here is the hinge to our message today. God says, Exodus 33, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And from this point onward, rest is reconnected to the presence of God, just as it was in the beginning. Now, if you're familiar with the biblical story, you know that it was not a smooth transition to the promised land. Um, not only that, but the temple they had built, which was to be the place where God's presence resided, could only be entered by a very select few and only after intense cleansing rituals. The Israelites break the covenant again and again, and it results in generation after generation of wandering and slavery and very painful toil. And this is Israel's story, but in so many ways, it's also our story. We are people prone to wandering and forgetting. Speaking from experience, we can have rich and life-changing encounters with God and then immediately going back to not making room for him in our day-to-day lives. Like the Israelites, we are guilty of choosing slavery over God's, over following God's commands. We may not be under an oppressive empire, but we are quite content to be ruled by our technologies, our jobs, or our social standings. We are restless and we desire more. We are made to be in Eden, to rule and to rest in God's presence, but like the Israelites, we can't fulfill the covenant. We can't do it. Which brings us to part three. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, who was fully God and fully human, lived a perfect life and fulfilled the covenants we could not. His life and death and resurrection beautifully and mysteriously create a way to reconnect us to God's presence. Jesus is the way back to the rest we forfeited and never stopped longing for. Jesus comes on the scene, and he is not at all what people expected. He makes his first public teaching on a Sabbath, 
and announces that he is the fulfillment of this scripture from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the year of the Lord's favor is a name for the Jubilee in the Hebrew Bible. It's a year-long Sabbath where all debts are canceled, all slaves were freed, and the earth itself was given a rest from farming. When Jesus says he was fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, he was saying that from now on, there will be a year of Jubilee. So that rest you've all been waiting for, rest for the poor and the oppressed, it's finally possible. Jesus then goes out and announces God's kingdom is here. This radical, upside-down, servant-led way of life. And it is accepted by some, but it's widely rejected. And Jesus knows this. He knows that life in his kingdom is not going to be easy for us to understand or to implement. He knows the world is success-driven and works-driven and that humanity is far better at doing for than being with. And that is the context into which Jesus speaks these words of rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is not saying here, I have done all the work, come and rest with me. But he is also not saying, go do all the work, and then you may rest with me. He says, come to me. He means, abide in me. Seek my face. He is not saying, you must rest. He is saying, you can rest. This is an invitation to live in his presence. And it is in his presence that we can be healed and rejuvenated because we are in the presence of one who loves us. When we are in his presence, we are reminded that we are children of God, which, yes, means that we are small, but there's freedom in that. My kids, for example, know that when I am there, present in the house, they don't need to worry whether there will be lunch for them. They can happily play and carry on in the carefree way of children because their experience has taught them that mom always feeds us. Now, if another child came into my home and tragically in their experience, lunch is not something they could count on being provided for them, it would take some time for that child to know that in my presence, they won't go hungry. It could take them days or weeks or years of encountering loving provision to let their guard down. But once they do learn to trust, that child would then be able to rest and enjoy life and be unburdened while in my home. And that's an illustration on what's on offer in Jesus's invitation to come to him. But it's not a one-time offer. We don't come to him only through Sunday church service or nightly prayer, it takes living in his presence. And so the next few verses are key. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
The yoke Jesus would have been referring to here is probably what an ox would have worn to plow a field. A yoke is for distributing weight so that the work can be done with ease. We actually all carry yokes in one form or another. If you're a teacher, your yoke might be your support staff or your lesson plans. If you're a contractor, your yoke might include your knowledge of building codes. If you're a farmer, your yoke might be a literal yoke. Um, but the yoke that Jesus offers is the yoke of discipleship. And as we've been learning together, discipleship involves all of life, your job, your family, your church community, your leisure time. And so if we find that any of these areas result in painful toil, in exhaustion or anxiety, well, there could be a few things that could be wrong. Maybe we have not taken up Jesus's offer of rest at all. Maybe you don't yet know him or trust him enough to hand over your life to him and his way. And if that is you, I just want you to know that his offer is always, always there and that he is good and faithful and trustworthy. Maybe you have taken up Jesus's yoke and way of life, but not in all ways. There are still areas of your life that you insist on holding tight and carrying yourself. When Scott and I were canoeing and we were out in one of our favorite places for an awesome getaway together, and we were struggling under a burden, it wasn't because of the yoke we were using. The yoke made the work of carrying the canoe easy and it made it possible for us to get into the really beautiful lakes further in. What was burdensome and painful was all the other unnecessary stuff we insisted on carrying with us. These verses from Matthew about the easy yoke are used both in chapter one of emotionally healthy spirituality, and they're also the subject of the first chapter of The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. And for really good reason, these words of Jesus hold a foundational key to discipleship, that we cannot compartmentalize our lives into things we are willing to surrender to Jesus and things we are not. Yeah. Doing so results in forfeiting the easy yoke. Most followers of Jesus are going to find themselves in this particular struggle, and sometimes a lot. Like the Israelites in our story, we have to actively choose trust in his provision so that we can take him up on his promise of rest. Discipleship and kingdom living are an act of faith, and it isn't always easy, but it is always worth it. But there are other reasons for exhaustion and pain, and unfortunately, they are not things we can just choose to lay down. <clears throat> exhaustion caused by loss or illness or other things outside of our control. We live in the time of the here and the not yet kingdom of God, the time after Jesus where his promises are fulfilled and his rest is available, but where the ground is still cursed by sin. And if that is you and your burden is not light and easy, well, know that another way that a yoke was used was to attach one ox to a whole team so that they could pull the weight together. Mm -hmm. And that's what community is for. Mm -hmm. And finally, if rest is what you desire, but not what you experience, then here is a one sentence summary of today's message. 
Rest is found in the presence of God. God promises the Israelites, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Jesus promises, come to me and I will give you rest. It is the being with God, not the doing for God, that results in life in his presence. We can practice every spiritual discipline from silence and solitude to worship and celebration, but as soon as we start doing these things for God, instead of with God, we forfeit the easy yoke of being with him. And so that's what I want to leave us with today. And I challenge you to spend some time thinking about your burdens, your exhaustion, and your restlessness, and figure out why it lives in you. Ask yourself, have you come to Jesus and trusted him with your burdens? Do you know him? <laughs> Do you know him and are trying to follow him but are carrying some things for yourself just to be safe? Is your burden something you need community support for? Are you doing for God? or being with God. Something we say in our house a lot is that it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Rest is found in the presence of God. I'm just going to pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your promises. Thank you for your promise of rest, and thank you that it is available. I thank you that we read in your word that it was for freedom that you've set us free and not to be burdened by the yoke of slavery. And so I just ask that when we are drawn to things other than you, that you help us find your presence again. And God, when we are driven by desires, that when we are driven by a desire to do rather than to be with you. I just pray that you help us wait for you, Lord. Thank you that you are good and trustworthy. Amen. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you very much.